Welcome to this message from Alpha and Omega Christian Fellowship. We are a family on a journey to become more like Christ, sharing His kingdom by expressing His love. We hope that you will be blessed and encouraged by what we have to share. This morning, however, I want to talk to you about an interesting subject. And I hope that some of the things I share with you today will awaken or put into perspective some realities and make them very simple for you uh, as we endeavor to grow in our walk with the Lord, as we endeavor to grow as fruitful disciples and members of His kingdom. Amen? Amen. We are in a season that we are calling Rediscovering the Gospel. And this gospel of the kingdom is a multifaceted gospel. It's not just about salvation, although that's where our journey begins. And it is the ability and and reminding ourselves of the power of this message that you and I carry that brings people into salvation, brings them into the kingdom of God so that they can live lives within this, this wonderfully supernatural realm. And so what I want to talk to you about this morning is living a naturally supernatural life. Living a naturally supernatural life. That sounds, in our day and age, with so many Marvel and and, uh, DC movies out there, that conjures up all kinds of images. But I want to kind of bring this back down. I want to ground this in Scripture and in real simplicity. Because this shouldn't be a very complicated thing. The reality is that, especially in our day and age... We are not going to change the world around us. We're not going to win them over to Christ by debating with them or trying to convince them about God's existence or about God's love for them. There was a time years ago when to say the Bible says was enough. It's not anymore. It's not anymore. There are so many. We are living in what they call a post-truth society where truth is relative. You can have your truth and I can have my truth. I'll never forget when I was in high school, there was a teacher who, you know, every, every week in assembly, there was about five, ten minutes given to a devotional, and on one of the days, a teacher stood up and he spoke about your truth and my truth, and you know, you can embrace your truth and I can embrace my truth. I wondered then why he marked answers wrong on my question papers, because as far as I was concerned, that was my truth. It doesn't make any sense, does it? So the people around us, the world around us, our colleagues, our family, need more than just Oh, the Bible says this, or God did that. They're going to need to see something. They're going to need to see, first of all, transformation in your life and mine. The greatest undermining factor to the gospel message we carry, ladies and gentlemen, is the church. The church is the conduit that God has chosen to work through. But where we miss up and we fall and we, we tolerate all kinds of things, when our lives undermine the message we preach... We pull out the carpet from underneath it. Our lives need to demonstrate the grace and the promises of God in this wonderful kingdom. The supernatural realities of the power of God to transform, to change us into the likeness of Jesus. But not only that, something happens in the life of a person when the power of the kingdom of God somehow intervenes in their situation. When somebody comes along and prays and something undeniable happens, it causes questions. It doesn't always cause salvation, but it, it, an undeniable experience is an undeniable experience. 
And you don't necessarily understand everything or why it happens or how it happened, but there was something real that happened. I want to say to you this morning that supernatural life is not just about the spectacular exploits of a, of a few anointed individuals. That's not what I'm talking about. It ought to be a very natural thing for every single person who is a member of the kingdom of God. And that's what I want to waken up in, in each one of our hearts. The supernatural power of God as a believer dwells within you. Right? Do you believe that? And it ought to be a natural thing for us to live with not only the awareness of that flow, but in the flow of that amazing power. The only way that this can be is when we come to the realization that the power we have is not some kind of magical ability. It's not some kind of special thing. It's the person of God himself. You see, I don't have power to save. Do you? Do you have power to heal? Do you have power to pray spirit-led prayers? Do you know what's on the heart and mind of God? No, none of us have the ability to do these kinds of things. But yet God brings us into a different reality. Let me ask you a question. Is there anything that God can't do? (laughs) What is that? Fair enough. And he can't lie. The Bible says he cannot lie. The truth is he can override your will, but he won't. He chooses not to. There are some times where God intervenes despite our will, right? But in terms of what is possible, of the things around us, Luke one thirty seven says, nothing will be impossible with God. There was somebody who came to Jesus and said, my epileptic son, we can't cast out the spirit, and, you know, can, can you come and do something? Jesus... Uh, something along the lines of, uh, if you can, would you please heal him? To which Jesus said, what do you mean, if I can? What do you mean, if I can? All things are possible to those who believe, he says. All things. All things are possible. Now, what do we mean, all things? We obviously mean things according to God's word, the things that he has promised us. Amen? According to his salvation, healing, grace, his presence, divine insight, spiritual gifts, wonderful miracles. We're going to look at some of those things a little bit later. But the point that I'm making is that there is nothing impossible for God. And why? Because God is limitless. There is no limit to His power. There's not going to come a situation where God's going to go, you know what, I'm so sorry, but Tanay was just here and he made a withdrawal and there's not enough left for you. I gave my last pearl of wisdom to Liesl. You're going to have to go and talk to her. We just, that, that's, it's, it's beyond our imagination. God is omnipotent, which means all-powerful. He is omniscient, which means all-knowing. And everywhere, all at once. But I want to, surely, if our God is who He says He is, then power encounters ought to be normal for the Christian life. Because every engagement with God is an encounter with power. Every engagement with God is an encounter with His power. When I come to God in prayer, that's an encounter with the omnipotent God. When I come to the Lord in worship, it's an encounter with an omniscient, all-powerful God. When I come and I open the Word and I begin to read, 
You see, when I read this without the revelation of who I'm, I'm, I'm speaking to, of who I'm engaging with, it's a common thing. <clears throat> Did you ever meet somebody that was famous, and then afterwards someone said, do you know who that was? And you go, no, I have no idea. That was so-and-so. Oh, had I known, I would, something would have changed. Maybe you would have been a bit giddy, maybe you would have been a bit emboldened. We act funny in, 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 the, in the presence of famous people, don't we? I don't know why. It makes no sense. They put their pants on one leg at a time, just like you and I. But we go a bit giddy. We go a bit funny. But you and I get to have power encounters with God when we realize the greatness of the one we are fellowshipping with. Let me put it a different way. We need to awaken a realization of the one we are fellowshipping with. There's a reason why in his presence, Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 6, falls to the floor, falls to his knees in the presence of God, and he says, Woe is me, for I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. There is something about being in the presence of God, the realization, a greater understanding, the fullness of it, that produced a different response in his heart. And my hope is that this morning, we can just do a little self-check. We can do a self-evaluation, perhaps a little bit of self-reboot, switch on, switch off again, to realize that every time we come to God, every time we engage with Him, we're not just fulfilling some kind of religious duty. We're not crying out to somebody who is far away and disinterested, begging them to somehow come in. We are talking to the omniscient, all-powerful God who loves us beyond our imagination. He's crazy about you. And he longs to demonstrate not only his love, but also his power in your situation and on your behalf. Now, does that begin to change just our perspective, a sense of reverential awe when we come into the presence of God, when we pray, whether that be in our car or in our bedroom or here in a church building? Every engagement with God is an encounter with power. And when God begins to speak into a situation, things begin to happen. Things begin to change. God says of himself in Isaiah chapter 55, my words will never return to me void or empty, but they will always accomplish that to which I send them. Always. Genesis 1, right at the beginning of the Bible, that first chapter is littered with the statement, then God said... Then God said, so he created the heavens and the earth. Then God said, let there be this. And then God said, let there be this. Now that word then does two things. Number one, it sets things in sequence. It gives order. This happened, then this happened, then this happened. This didn't happen before this. There was a, a, an order of sequence to the way the whole thing unfolded. But it also, another thing the word then does, is it highlights a change of state. This is what was, then this happened and the thing changed. Then this happened, and there was change. It was this, now it's this. This is how God, right from the very beginning of time, brought spiritual realities into the natural world and made them natural realities. God said, let there be. Then he said this. Then he said this. And as he said it, it was. And it was good. Later on, 
Genesis 17 verse 5, we see the same thing happen as God begins to journey with a man called Abraham. And he says to him, No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of many nations. So in this situation it says, Abram was called Abram. Then God said, in essence, I'm going to make you Abraham. I'm going to speak into your situation. And that name... Those words, because they come from God alone, because they come from omnipotence himself, come to pass. Now, it took 25 years for that word to be realized, but in that moment, something changed. In that moment, something shifted. This also is how Jesus ministered. Matthew 4.19 says this, He said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. He spoke into a situation and completely transformed those men's lives. From that moment, they were engaged in a new process of being made into something that they weren't before. There was a reality. They were fishermen. James and John were out there casting their nets. And Jesus said, come and I will make you fishers of men. I'm going to speak something into your situation that's going to change and forever alter your destiny. And the truth is, folks, that this is how God still works today. Second part of Romans 4 verse 17 says that God is the one who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. New King James says, He calls those things which be not as though they were. You see, God hasn't changed since the dawn of creation. He called those things that were not as though they were. He called Abraham's children that were not as though they were. Jesus called these fishermen, fishers of men, though yet they were still throwing out nets for wiggly little fish. And Jesus in the same way, and God in the same way, is continually speaking into and over your life, over your situation, over your loved ones, words that bring change. Words that bring a spiritual reality and make them a natural reality. That takes something that was not in the natural before, that we couldn't see, touch, taste, feel, experience, or understand, but yet has always existed in the heart of mind of, and of God. Yet when that power encounter takes place, when something is released, when something is spoken, this natural world changes and comes under the influence of the supernatural spiritual world. This is how God works. This is how He continues to work. This is what has happened in every single one of our lives. And what we need to understand is that God has never done anything supernatural. Because it's all natural to Him. I've got a few confused looks there for a moment. You see, what God does is not supernatural to Him. It's the most natural thing in the world. He is omnipotent. For him to be limited would be nonsensical. None of the things that we cry or call wondrous miracles are big deals for God. The things that are big deals to us are not great matters to God at all. And it is in this realization of who he is and of what his nature is like, of the abundance of his power, of his wisdom, of his grace, that Jesus walked in. It is why he lived the life that he lived. It is why he walked in the measure of power that he did. 
And this is exactly what He has done in your heart and in my heart. John chapter 3, verses 1 to 6. Jesus has an encounter with a man or a Pharisee called Nicodemus. Let's read it. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. And this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs unless God is with him. Let's just pause for a moment. Let's discuss a few things about this. Nicodemus is clearly not wanting to be seen with this man, so he comes to him secretly. But he makes a statement which backs up the very start of what we shared together this morning. He says, because of these things that we see you do, we cannot deny that you are from God. There were signs and there were wonders beyond just teaching and law that all the other people in in their lives brought to them. There was something supernatural. There was something beyond what they had experienced before. And he says, no one can do these signs unless God is with him. And Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And of course Nicodemus was confused. How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born? And Jesus said, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born of the water and of spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. For that which is born of the flesh is flesh, but that which is born of the spirit is spirit. That which is born of, comes from, conceived by the Spirit, carries the life and the power of the Spirit. But that which is born of the flesh, carries only the power of the flesh. Only the faculties of, that are natural, what we would call natural faculties. And so what Jesus is saying here is, this new life that is coming in, it's beyond what you can understand. That's why it says there, unless one is born again, he cannot understand, he cannot see the kingdom of God. There is something supernatural that has to take place. Something from the, omni- the realm of God's omnipotence needs to come into my life, my situation, and enable me to experience something that is beyond what everyone else around me is experiencing. It brings about change that is beyond what I can do in and of myself. You see, folks, the most important thing we need to understand is that you are a spirit being. You're made in the image of God. We are spirit beings with a soul that live in a body. You are not a human being having a spiritual experience. You are a spiritual being having a human experience. Write that down and think about that one for a little while. Because here's the way we tend to work this one out. If we think I'm a human being, then I have these intermittent spiritual experiences you know, scattered throughout my life. I'll have one on a Sunday morning. I might have one in the morning when I pray. I might have one, you know, the spiritual experience when I have a conversation with somebody and God speaks to me. But for the rest of the time, we're only human, right? You know, when Paul rebukes the church in Corinth, he says to them, you guys are behaving like mere men. You're behaving as if you're human. But if we flip that on its head and we realize deep within ourselves, I'm not just some human being looking for a spiritual experience. That's what people out there are doing, by the way. And they're looking for it in all the wrong places and trying to find all kinds of ethereal, supernatural things. No, no, no. God has made you and I to be spiritual beings. And for a period of time, we are having a human experience, just as Jesus did. 
But we who are born again carry within us something that has taken place within our spiritual reality called being born again, being made a new creation in Christ Jesus, which changes everything. It gives us access to a realm we did not have access to before, to a nature that we were unlike before, the very nature of God and the power of God. And this means that spiritual things should be natural to us. Amen? should be natural to us to walk in them, to experience them, to be in tune with them, to know what is going on. 2 Corinthians, Paul writes to the church and he says this in chapter 5, verses 16 to 20. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Just pause and think about that for a while based on what I've just said. In other words, I'm no longer going to consider you just according to your flesh, to what I see, to what your personality may be like. I'm now going to regard you not just as a human. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who, through Christ, reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, was reco- he, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us this message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. In the same way that Jesus came with a divine nature to do the will of God and, to, and as a result was able to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit, so you and I have been commissioned to be ambassadors of Jesus Christ. And it is within this glorious ministry of reconciliation What do we mean by this? You see, Jesus, we we need to unpack this a little bit and allow our minds perhaps to go further than they've gone before. Jesus didn't just come to separate the barrier of sin so that we could once again have intimacy and fellowship with God. Of course, that's the main thing. Of course. I take nothing away from that. But he came to bring us into a reality that he lived out in front of us. So that it was more than just about fellowship one-to-one. It's more than just about having our sins for being uh, forgiven and being loved. It's about being and coming into the experience of the power of God in the power of the Spirit. It gives us access. Jesus says, why he says to his disciples, guys, it's better for you that I go away because if I do not go, this Holy Spirit is not going to come. But when I go, I will send to you another helper, an advocate, an assistant, a comforter, and he will be with you, and he will show you things to come. Acts 1 verse 8, Jesus, before his ascension, said to his disciples, let me get the words right, because I'm about to to misquote scripture. (laughs) 
But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. What was the purpose of this blessed Holy Spirit? Power. That the very omnipotence of God, that those spiritual realities that Jesus had won of deliverance, of life, would become in us and through us realities in this natural world, to usher them in. Look at what Jesus said of himself. Luke chapter 4, if I'm not mistaken. Verse 18. This was prophesied of him by the prophet Isaiah, and here Jesus affirms it by reading the book. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me, in other words, made omnipotent power available to me. To do what? To preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives, recovery of sight to the blind, and to set at liberty all those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. In other words, to hear from God what He is saying and to speak that into a natural situation which doesn't seem obvious and to bring a change so that, and then God said to take a, a situation of oppression and to make it deliverance, a situation of ignorance and to make it wisdom, a situation of powerlessness or of sickness and to make it grace and to make it healing, to bring that creative power that healing power of the very nature of God and His goodness into effectual application within our lives and within our circumstances. You see, our struggle very often is that we are so wrapped up and caught up in the pursuits of this natural world, seeing people through human eyes only, that the life of the Spirit often feels so distant. It feels like an ethereal thing. I, I, I can't do that. That's too far from me. That's for those guys who can spend and have time to spend all day praying. That's for those guys who, you know, pray in fa fancy tongues and do a whole lot of fasting. And, you know, they're paid to do that work. It just seems sometimes so far away because we're so in touch with the natural world. And I want to say to you today, that is not true. The disciples knew Jesus for a very short period of time. They were not filled with the Holy Spirit, and yet he authorized them to go. Just go. Cast, and and just, just go and cast out demons. Go heal the sick. We somehow feel that we need to gain a level of, not, of, of, of sort of acumen or experience that once we've done A, B, C, and D, we've kind of earned the right to go and do these things. But that would imply that we are doing them by our strength. That would imply that somehow we have to muster and, and make these things happen. What does it take? It doesn't take any of those things. It just takes an encounter with the omnipotence of God. Amen. To hear His voice say, go. To hear His voice say, do. And as we obey, we realize that we are having an encounter with God and His power, and we give it an opportunity to work not just in us, but through us. You and I have been made alive to God so that we may co-labor with Him, making spiritual realities natural ones. This is why the Apostle Paul writes in Romans 1 verse 16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, 
For it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. I'm not ashamed of this message because within it is the very power of God. Say power. (laughs) Folks, you know that God is always up to something. God is always up to something, not in some sneaky kind of way, but there's an agenda that He has, that He is working out in this world around us. And the question is, will we be brave enough to find out what it is that He is up to in our situation and partner with Him in accomplishing it? That's the question. Not saying, God, would you please do this, or would you please do that? Because in some ways, our idea of seeking first the kingdom of God is telling God what we think His kingdom should look like and what we think He should do. Whereas the reality is, when we come and we present ourselves and we say, Father... What are you doing? How can I get in on what it is that you are doing? You see, the power of God is in and is available in what He is doing. Because He never does anything outside of it. The provision of God is available and is operational in what He is doing. The wisdom of God is available and operational in what it is that He is doing. The question is, are we invested in His pursuits or are we spending a lot of time trying to get Him invested in ours? There lies the big question. You see, folks, we've already established that God can do anything. We've, we've established that right at the beginning. But let me ask you another question. Does God know everything? Yes, God knows everything. That's why He's called omniscient. Does that mean that the fullness of knowledge dwells within you? Does God dwell in you? Does God know everything? Does that mean that the fullness of knowledge dwells within you? Yes. That doesn't mean you know everything, okay? I see a lot of spouses going, I told you so. (laughs) What it means is that, let me put it to you as Paul puts it to you. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 9 to 10. You see, folks, what we need to, what this means is that we need to learn how God desires to reveal that knowledge through us. Here it says, verse 9, But it is written, I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor has entered into the heart of man, or the mind of man, the things which God has prepared for those who love Him. All right, so we are a spirit being, amen? Amen. You have a soul, which is your mind, your will, your emotions, and we live in this body. And there are things within our spirit man that our soul has not realized yet. That's why it says here, eye hasn't seen it, and your ear hasn't heard it, and your mind hasn't comprehended yet the things that are prepared for those who love Him. But then it goes on to say, but God has revealed them to us. How? How? Let's say it again. Through His Spirit. Through His Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except for the spirit of God. Now, listen, let's go on here. We have not received the spirit of this world, but the spirit who is from God. So we have received the spirit which knows all things, knows the heart of God, knows the mind of God, knows the plans of God, that we may know the things that have been freely given to us. 
Amen? Amen. What is the purpose of this blessed Holy Spirit? To awaken us, to show us, to bring us into the realities of these things that God sees and speaks that bring the omnipotence of His life and power into our natural world. We access them not through our humanity, but through our spirituality. We have been yoked with the Spirit of God. Jesus dwells within our hearts, and His Spirit longs to reveal to us, if we will stop and listen, the things that are on the heart and mind of God, that we may receive them, and that we may walk in them, and in doing so, by simple obedience, the power of God is set to work in our situation. I do not have control over the power of God, but I do have the option of submitting to it. Amen? And wherever the power of God is at work, you do not have the power to control Him. He is God. But we have the option to submit to it and to allow that power to be effectual in and through our lives. Folks, we do not understand the greatness of this privilege. What a wondrous privilege God has bestowed upon us. If we are going to reach the lost around us, we need to be ready to risk a little for Jesus. To risk a little. To do things that seem wrong, that seem strange, but that we know God is leading us to do. To show, you know what? One of the greatest risks you and I ever take in life is to love somebody. The day I stood at this altar and made my vows to my wife, that was the greatest risk I ever took, not because of her, but because of me. As soon as I made those vows to love her, why do I make those vows? Because I have the potential not to. So by an act of my will in that moment, I have set myself on a course that I have a, pot a potential to fail at, but that by God's grace and a little help from Helen too, I get to walk out. Amen? This is a little bit what life in the Spirit is like. It's simply about saying, I may mess this up. I may. I don't intend to, but I'm aware of my weaknesses. I know that in my own selfish self, I don't have what it takes to rightly love that woman till the day we die. So I'm going to need something more. I'm going to need grace. I'm going to need wisdom from God. And as an act of my will, I say, I do. I make the commitment to walk this journey out in obedience to Him and to that woman. Woman. Just the one. I was at a conference this week, and Tony Fitzgerald, one of the apostolic oversight of Church of the Nations, said something that really caught my interest. It's one of those things where he's flipped something on his head, and I, I like it. He said, God didn't give the church a mandate. He gave the mandate a church. In other words, there is something that is on God's heart that he's already, he has already been about doing. Since the fall of man, God has been about doing something. And the question is not, okay, now God needs to think up something for me to do in my situation. Just the realization is that God is working already. He is doing something. There is a mandate that is at work. And the question is, God, how can I 
be a part of what you are doing? How many times have you asked that question? And maybe that's the question we need to be leaving this place today with. God, what are you doing in my situation, and how can I be a part of what you are doing? There is no greater privilege than that. You know, it's a rainy day. But if Tiger Woods or Phil Mickelson came into this place today and said, look, I know it's rainy in Cape Town. I've only got this one day, but I want to go and play a game. You know it never rains on the golf course. I'm looking for a caddy. Would you caddy for me, Mark? Would you, would you caddy for me? Would you just come and carry my clubs for me so that I can do what it is I need to do, but I need somebody there? And you probably know the weather conditions, sorry? It's not good enough. Who, who, who would it be? You can see I don't watch a lot of golfers. I only know a few names. Would you come and be my caddy today? I know it's raining. I know it's rough. You would say, wow, he's asked me. Who am I? What do I know about golf? What do I know about how many yards this is? What do I, which club should I use? I don't know. I don't know what the range is. I don't know what the wind is going to do. I don't know when the rain is going to stop. But I'll come carry your clubs for you. And I'll do what you tell me to do. You tell me what you need, I'll give you that. And I'll do it in the rain. Because you are Tiger Woods, or you are so-and-so. And I, it's just a great privilege for me to do this. And I'm going to do it, and I'm going to get soaking wet. I might even catch a cold. But through all my sniffles and sneezes, I'll be telling a few people. I'll be putting it up on Facebook. Check who I hung out with today. Provoking others to jealousy. Do you understand that Jesus is calling you to be his caddy? That's, it's, it's as simple as that. You don't have to know it all. You don't have to understand how it all works. You don't have to have all the answers or be fully matured as a disciple of Jesus Christ. All you have to be is one step ahead of the person you're trying to reach. <laughs> and if you are born again, if you have the Spirit of God living within you, and you're trying to minister to somebody that is not born again, you're not a step ahead, guys. You are, you are yards ahead. You are kilometers ahead. You are on another solar system ahead because of who it is that dwells in you. And God has given to you and I everything that we need, Peter says, for life and for godliness and to be his image bearers and the ushers of his desires into our situation. Every single believer is assigned to bring change where God has placed them. And God has gifted you for this very purpose. He's given you special gifts. And we're going to start looking at those next week. For the sake of time, I'm not going to enter into them today. But you see, when God gave you His Holy Spirit, He gave you His presence and His power. But you know what the Holy Spirit gives you? Wonderful, supernatural gifts. Which are not supernatural to Him, but they certainly are to us. This idea of supernatural living should not scare us and it should not intimidate us because the one who abides within us is God Almighty. And He's not asking you to do anything except to hear His voice and to obey, to believe what He says and to act accordingly. 
You know, from the day God changed his name, Abraham went around and said, Hi, nice to meet you. Hey, it's your name? Yeah. I'm the father of many nations. That's right. Hi, what's your name? Great. Oh, hi. I'm the father of many nations. How, how many kids? None. What do you mean you're the father of many nations? But, but I'm the, because God said so. He's a little loco. He's a little strange. Folks, would you stand with me? Our Father God, I want to thank you that this is, that this is a simple message reminding us of a simple reality that within us dwells God Almighty. That you are our God and with you nothing is impossible. That there is nothing that catches you by surprise. That you know all things and you know what is going on. We realize, Father God, that you are bigger than what we can contain in terms of our own understanding. But yet, Lord, the potential for life, for all knowledge, dwells within us because you have placed your spirit within our very hearts. Lord, from this day on, we are not going to live as human beings trying to have a spiritual experience, trying to convince you to come into our situation. But Lord, we leave this place knowing that we are spirit beings, that you are already not only involved but at work in our situation. And you desire to make what you are doing our human experience. And so, Father, I want to pray for just this shift in thinking to settle down deep within our hearts and minds today. Thank you that you are the one who says and speaks things which be not as though they were. Thank you that you are the one who, when you speak, Father God, things change and, and courses are set into motion. That when you speak, the light of your word causes darkness to flee. Your truth causes shackles to break. And the power of your word, Lord God, and of your presence causes healing to come. And so we pray with one heart and one mind this morning that all of these realities, Lord God, would come, out, come into and be a part of our existence. And I want you to join this morning in the prayer that calls these things to be and gives context to everything that I've just been saying, and that is the prayer that the Lord taught His disciples to pray. Would you pray it with me? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. That Your kingdom come and Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. We hope that you've enjoyed this message. For additional resources and more information, come and visit us at alphaomega.org.za.